It is clear that fall is, well, it's leaving us, pun intended. Yeah, yeah. There you go, dads. That's for you. Um, And that means that we're going to start thinking about, if we haven't already, uh, this thing called gifts for Christmas, right? It's it's that time where you begin, those of you especially who are well-organized, now granted, I know some of us at about December, you know, 19th, we're going, oh shoot, we got to go get some gifts. But some of us are already thinking about that. And we're thinking about the gifts that we, we just can't wait to give to our family members, those that we love. And we're thinking about those gifts that are kind of required too, you know, for coworkers or, or bosses. And I was thinking about how receiving of gifts can reveal something about our heart, something about our character. And in today's sermon, something about our relationship with the Lord. I, I was thinking about how if you're a young parent and you've got a two-year-old and you buy them this gift that's perfect for them and they absolutely love the wrapping paper and the box. You know, it's innocent, it's, it's cute. They're not meaning to be disrespectful, it's just their age, right? And then you have your, your adolescent son or daughter who opens up that gift and they look at you and they say, thanks, right? They know they should say thank you, but it's not what they wanted. And, and as opposed to that little toddler, it's, it's far less innocent. <laughs> and we walk away maybe a little hurt, a little confused. The giving and receiving of gifts is a, a highlight of the season when we think about Operation Christmas Child. And if you look at the pictures, and I, if I was smart, I would have asked Aaron to put some up, no pressure. Uh, but what do you see in those pictures? You see excitement when that child receives the gift. You see joy. And I think we assume, and I think fairly so, we, we see gratitude. For, for we're assuming, and I think rightly so in most cases, these kids, this may be the only gift they get that year. This may be the first gift they've ever received. We forget how wealthy we really, we really are. And so we see in their faces the power of a gift and how it's received, and in particular, the joy, the gratitude. Today, we're going to encounter Jesus giving a gift, and we're going to see two very different reactions to that gift. The one that we want to focus on is the one that gives him thanks and praise. Would you stand with me and open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 17 as we continue in the gospel of Luke. Uh, We're beginning at verses 11 and we'll read through verse 19 today. Again, Luke chapter 17, verses 11 through 19. On the way to Jerusalem, he, that is Jesus, was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, he was met by 10 lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice. In verse 16, And he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered, Were not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. God bless the reading of his word. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for how it cuts through into the deepest parts 
of our being. We thank you in some ways for the strangeness of your word, for we are reading of cultures many two centuries ago or more. And yet your word still speaks in every language it's translated into. It is not limited in any sense by the culture it was originally wrought in. You impact us here as Americans living in really what is a post-Christian society. So we thank you for this time. Please do the work in your hearts that you have already desired to do. And may you get all the glory for what you do. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Please be seated. Our sermon title today is simply giving thanks and praise. And you'll notice we have three subpoints that uh, I think kind of are distilled from this passage. One, a distant healing, verses 11 through 14. Two, a foreign offering, verses 15 through 16. And last but not least, divine declaration, verses 17 through 19. What we begin as all disciples do with following Jesus. On the way to Jerusalem, verse 11, Jesus was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. They're on the road again, and Jesus is, quote, on the way to Jerusalem. This is the third and final time Luke tells us that Jesus has set his face toward Jerusalem, toward the cross, and eventually towards an empty tomb. His route is between Samaria and Galilee, so this is to the north. We're not really sure exactly where he's traveling. It's not pertinent. And it's likely that he's traveling with a larger group who are also moving down towards Jerusalem for Passover. We read in verse 12, as he entered a village, he was met by 10 lepers who stood at a distance. And they lifted up their voices saying, Jesus, master, have mercy on us. And when he saw them, he said, go and show yourself to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. So it's no surprise Jesus is heading to Jerusalem, and it's no surprise that he meets 10 lepers in this little village by the wayside. They're suffering from leprosy. Now, leprosy, as we learned uh, a few months ago, is, is not what we think of it today. It was a broad category for skin diseases. Uh, we think of it more narrowly as Hansen's disease, where quite literally, you know, digits can fall off and such. A much broader category in the Old Testament but there was a very specific law regarding those who had leprosy. <clears throat> the law of Moses gave very specific instructions. Jason Simino, back in uh, January on our passage in Luke 5, reminded us of that. And if, I won't reference all of that now. You can go back and look at that if you wish, or look it up in your notes in your ESV Bible or whatever you have. But, but it's enough to remember that a leper was cast out. A leper, he or she, was cast out of their home, no longer allowed to work, cast out of their village, no longer able to go to temple or synagogue. They were utterly isolated from the rest of society in every way imaginable. It was a terrible fate that you wouldn't wish on anyone. It's no surprise, though, that lepers would find other lepers. They were the only other people they could actually be around. And so we see here 10, which is, I think, surprising and concerning if you are the crowd that's following Jesus and you see a rather large number of lepers. You'd recognize them immediately because their clothes are different. And they always stay at a certain pace, 50 paces or more, from anyone else who they are not sure is a leper. And they literally are commanded to cry out, covering leper, leper, so that you know 
not to come in with a certain distance of them. So you can imagine as Jesus and his disciples are walking and Jesus is talking probably to his disciples and the crowds around and they begin to see the lepers and the whispering and the murmuring. It apparently, or it seems that Jesus doesn't see them at first, but they hear the lepers call out in a chorus, Jesus, master, have mercy on us. Now the title master here is used only in Luke, actually in his gospel. Does it mean like a master slave? But it's more than just a title like rabbi. A rabbi could be a peer, but a master is always somebody who is above you, who is worthy of your reverence and of your obedience. Someone that, command, that can command you. And that is what the 10 lepers call Jesus, master. And then what he says just kind of boggles our mind at first glance. And we remember back to chapter five, Jesus encounters the, the first leper that we see in the gospel of Luke. And that man comes up, bows down at his feet, and it's a single man. And Jesus does the unthinkable. He reaches out and touches him, heals him, sends him on his way. But Jesus doesn't do that here, does he? He stays at a distance. And within the hearing of all of those close enough acoustically to hear says, go and show yourselves to the priests. Verse 14, the first part of verse 14. Well, they called him master and he gives them instructions. So he does give them instructions and they, they follow. But what's odd is, and you're thinking this if you know your Bible a little bit, well, you don't go to see the priest until you're healed. That's the point. It's clearly described in Leviticus chapter 14 that if the leprosy, if the red spots on your skin are no longer there or if the, the white flakes are gone, then you go show yourself to the priest and the priest is the one who determines whether you are truly indeed clean and makes the appropriate sacrifice and then you're allowed to come back home into the fellowship of your people. But they're not healed yet and yet Jesus says, go and show yourselves to the priests. And so they do. And we read at the end of verse 14, and as they went, inferred here is to show themselves to the priest, wherever the local priest was, we're not sure how far that was, they, plural, were cleansed. End period. Now Jesus knew what would happen, but no one else presumably saw the miracle except for those 10 lepers. As they looked at each other, recognizing the gift of God's mercy. And I want us to pause and think about God's mercy a little bit. God's mercy reflects his love and compassion. And the nature of mercy is that it's never owed because then it would be indebtedness. Mercy looks like your bank. If you're uh, behind on your mortgage and they, they give you leniency for a month and waive any fees, they just say, you know, your local banker says, don't worry about it. I know you lost your job. We'll figure it out. That, that's mercy. Mercy is when you lash out at somebody and they, they, they wipe it away quickly and say, it's okay. Mercy is never earned. It's given. You cannot require it. And when we receive it, we don't deserve it. That's the nature of mercy. It's a kindness above and beyond what is required. And mercy in Hebrew and in the Old Testament, it's just one of those precious words about our God that is often paired with another word that we translate steadfast love. And so you, you actually saw it in our psalm today. And you, if you read through the psalms at all in your devotions, you will often see this pairing of 
steadfast love and mercy. God's steadfast love and mercy endures forever, over and over and over and over again in our Old Testament. And we're seeing it here with these 10 leopards. These, te- these words, these two beautiful words are, are, are so descriptive of our God's character and actions toward his people. He's full of steadfast love and never-ending mercy. These lepers didn't deserve to be healed. There were many lepers who had it their whole life and died from the causes or complications of leprosy. There was nothing in their appearance or in their request that was unusual or made them worthy of of God. They don't call Jesus the son of God. He's just their master. He's just somebody above them. They're, They're reverential towards him. They have some level of faith, but it's not clear if it's saving or not. But God gives them through his son mercy. These 10 lepers were now former lepers. So why, Jesus wonders out loud, is only one walking back to him? Verse 15. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. Don't you wonder how long it took? We have no idea, but we can conjecture a little bit. They're walking along the path, and one guy makes a mention, look at my hand, look at my hand. And another pulls off his mask, and look at my face. And they begin to just show each other and to check for themselves. It's gone. I don't, I'm not a leper anymore. Jesus healed us. And yet only one of them wants to turn back. Do you think he tried to talk the others into it? It's plausible, isn't it? We'll never know until we get to be with our Lord. And it doesn't matter. But it's worth noticing the the man who turns around, praising God with a loud voice, grasping what has happened to him and giving the only one who can get the glory or receive his thanks, God. And then he goes further. It says he, uh, he goes towards Jesus, bows down, falling on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. In fact, particularly, friends, giving him worship. The gesture that we see here that this prostrate at your feet is absolutely worship. In Luke Luke 5, the first leper does this, chapter 5, verse 12. While he was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy, and when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. That's worship. Chapter 8, 41, and there came a man named Jairus who was a ruler of the synagogue and falling at Jesus' feet, he implored him to come to his house. That's worship. And and many years later in Acts chapter 10, Peter enters into Cornelius' house or outside the house, I can't recall, and Cornelius meets him and falls down at his feet and worshiped him. And there it's clearly described as worship. And Peter recognizes it and lifts him up and saying, stand up, I too am a man, don't worship me. And we see this throughout various parts of the Old Testament as well. That posture is one of worship. So the one man comes back, not only glorifying God out loud, but in action, worshiping Jesus, the Son of God. And Jesus doesn't stop him. But the man wasn't a Jew. Did you read that? Did you notice that? He was a Samaritan. So at a distance, it's 
likely he, he wasn't able to be discerned from the crowd. You see their disheveled rags and clothes, and you, you wouldn't be able to pick him out. But as he's now, you know, very close, within easy eyesight of the disciples, at the very least, Jesus for sure, and others in the crowd who are in the local or the closer vicinity, it's obvious, probably by some of his dress and for sure by his accent, he's a Samaritan. He's not a Jew. A non-Jew came back, and the nine other Jews didn't. Jesus says then out loud so that all can see perhaps the ones in the back who can't, were not 10 cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? They should be here too is the obvious reference, isn't it? Those around Jesus understand, yet why aren't the rest of the nine here? They were healed. They were Jews. They should understand what's going on, and yet they didn't return. Just this Samaritan, this half-breed. If you remember just briefly the history of Samaria conquered by the Assyrians and made to take on Assyrian culture and worship, the Samaritans to this day, if there are any existing, I think there still are, only read the first five books of the Bible. They don't really believe in Yahweh, the God of the covenant, the Old Testament, and God that we worship. They just believe those first five books. That's it. They were despised by the Jews. And likewise, there was no love lost between Samaritan for a Jew either. And it isn't an ironic that it's the Samaritan who turns around. The nine knew better and didn't return. The one who didn't know any better returned. And notice what his reward is. It's far greater than the healing the 10 of them received. Verse 19, rise and go your way, Jesus says to him, your faith has made you well. This phrase, your faith has made you well, is a fancy way of saying, your faith has saved you. Your sins have been forgiven. You will be with me in eternity. This former leper, this lowly Samaritan, is going to go home to his wife and embrace his kids and eat at the table he's been longing to eat in, and not only are the physical signs of his illness healed, the scales or the scabs or whatever it might have looked like visually, but the inside has been clean, cleansed as well. Those other nine Jews, they will go home and they will wonder, maybe, and maybe they will in later time repent and come back. But this, this Samaritan receives a double portion. For his faith has saved him. He has worshipped Jesus, his Savior, and has been given a second gift, salvation. The parable today challenges us on a broad level regarding our thankfulness or our own gratitude, doesn't it? But, but don't, don't cast that net too broadly. Yes, it's true. We should probably be more grateful. That, that's probably always the case for most of us. But it's more narrowly here about the Lord. This isn't a general uh, applicable passage Paul might preach on thankfulness or gratitude. It's, it's more specific because there, there is this incredible danger, isn't there? We could be that group of nine. We could be that group of nine that, that receives the, the gift but not the giver. We could be that group of nine that comes to God for just our needs but not for the relationship. 
We could be that group of nine that, that checks all those boxes of what you do if you have a religion but not a relationship. And there's the danger, isn't it? And it's a scary one. And it's a good time for us just to reflect on that. Am I, what camp am I in? And some ways we can litmus test that by looking back at, at ways in which God has worked in your life. Have you given him thanks? Or do you take him for granted? Do you receive the gift but are ungrateful toward him? Think, think back to your, to your days, and if you lived long enough, you, you, you've probably known many times where you should, you should have died probably a couple times over. Did you give God thanks for that? Do you recognize that he truly saved you? If you think about your faith, do, you, do we recognize what we, what we sing isn't just musically beautiful, it's theologically beautiful because it's true. And I'm thinking of another hymn right now that just popped into my head, Amazing Love, How Can It Be? That God, uh, God himself died for me. You know, th- these songs aren't, I mean, they're, they're beautiful. And, the, and our singers and our musicians do a wonderful job. And Aaron leads us well in this ministry. But ask yourself, when you're singing those songs, friends, does it stir in your heart something? Or are you just doing lip service? And if that's the case, and you, you're getting a sense of, God, I don't know if I really true, truly am grateful. I don't really know if I've received not the first gift, but the second of salvation, then today, friends, is a great day. Don't let it pass. Don't be like those nine who go home and we just have no idea whether they ever had another encounter with Jesus. While today is still today, join the Samaritan who didn't go to church, didn't live right, didn't do right, got leprosy, but also got the gift of salvation through Jesus' divine proclamation. Let's pray. Father, we see ourselves in stories, whether true as this story is historically or fictional, and you use stories powerfully because at times our our logical mind puts up barriers and stories have a way of going through the back door and getting at our affections, our emotions. I pray particularly this morning that you would work as you did in that former leper, that Samaritan now being known by his Savior's heart. Work in our hearts too. Help us to see how great a need we have to call you master. His need was cleansing from his leprosy, but it transitioned into worship. Lord, help us to see how we need to worship you because you are our only God, our only Savior. Nothing else we can do will guarantee us heaven with you and with all those who are loved by you. Forgive us for our our romantic dreams which center on ourselves and keep you, our creator, at, at bay. Forgive us for giving you lip service at times, but not heart service. And I pray and we pray that you will do the work that only you can do. You will soften our hearts and help us to pray with millions of men and women throughout the centuries. I'm a sinner. Jesus, be my savior. And we pray all these things in his name. Amen.